ظفری and uh, sitting in front of him is Imam Usman Manan and then we have Imam Nabil Bhatti good uh, a very good morning to all of you gentlemen Assalam peace and blessings be upon you too thanks for the warm welcome as always yeah it is it is a it is a warm uh, <laughs> nice and warm shiny sunny afternoon sorry morning absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. and, and f- it's been like this for some time I remember even last week when we speak yeah, yeah? it was a it was a sunny morning that we started off with so luckily the weather has been quite pleasant to us uh, recently I mean a, b- a bit too pleasant at times Correct. Uh, when it gets beyond uh, 25 a degrees Celsius hot. exactly but nevertheless it's, it's going well yeah I mean it's been a good time for people to go out go get some ice cream in the afternoons you know maybe go to for for a walk in the park and also for some people uh, it's quite a dreadful time because of all of the uh, you know hay fever that's going around yeah correct so that's that's also something that people are you sure. know a bit worried about right but yeah keep yourself hydrated and enjoy the weather as long as it lasts yeah absolutely and it does help uh, lift the mood um, uh, as well right okay uh, so the two topics that we shall be covering today uh, the first one is about uh, is something that is on a lot of people's minds these days which is interest rates and, and mortgage rates uh, which are expected to uh, to rise further as a result of the latest interest rate rise so we shall talk about that from 7:30 a.m. onwards and from about 8:15 a.m. onwards we shall talk about home education so it appears that uh, home educated uh, children the number of home educated children has also risen sharply since 2019 so those are the two topics for this morning please do join us by calling us at 02086877878 um you can also tweet us at voice of islam uk please do join in this this is a live show and we would love to hear from you right um as is the norm let me start off by talking about the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning there's a sun uh, like many papers uh, this morning leads with duchess of york's uh, cancer diagnosis after a shock test results find it quotes a friend who says sarah ferguson is very grateful to staff at king edward the 7th hospital who carried out the surgery and looked after her the tablets also say simon cowell's home had a red foiled by the sun so elton john sparkles at the top of the daily mirror as the paper declares his classy customary setlist as a belter the duchess of york's uh, cancer diagnosis after routine checkup is the lead story in the tabloid as the paper says she has family rallying around her plenty of fun uh, in glastonbury sun w- um was um uh, sun as we had uh, the weekend over the um, and that's been carried by the metro as as it carries colorful um, montage of some of the acts who smashed uh, the festival 
its main story reflects on Saturday's events in Russia and the paper says it could well be a boost for Ukraine. Wagner's mutiny shows real cracks in Vladimir Putin's authority, according to Financial Times. The paper also says a growing number of fearful Tory MPs with slim majorities are cutting back on the time spent in Westminster in a bid to shore up their prospects in their constituencies. On the front of the Daily Telegraph, the Prince of Wales says he is committed to ending homelessness as he prepares to launch a major project two years in the making. The paper says it could define his legacy as he aims to follow in the footsteps of his late mother, Princess Diana. The Daily Mail leads with the news of the Duchess of York recovering from a successful operation in central London after being diagnosed with breast cancer. The tabloid says uh, Sarah Ferguson has returned to Windsor with ex-husband Prince Andrew. The I newspaper's bold headline touches on the uneasy quiet coming out of the Kremlin and in particular the silence of Russian President Vladimir Putin after Saturday's mutiny. On the sidebar of the front page, the paper nods to highlights um, from Glastonbury. The front page of The Guardian reflects on a weekend of turmoil in Russia following Wagner's uprising and what the rebellion meant for Vladimir Putin's leadership. Yevgeny Prigogsin uh, uh, is pictured shaking hands after his deal, which will see him move to Belarus. The paper also carries a huge review of the festival at Glastonbury. The Duchess of York's urgent surgery is a lead in the Daily Express, which quotes a friend saying the operation was a success and she was discharged at the weekend. At the top of the paper, it nods to Sir Elton John's spectacular final show at Glastonbury. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. A reminder of the two topics that we shall be covering today. The first topic is about the rise in or expected rise in interest rates um, uh, and mortgage rates. Um, And the second topic is about education and specifically home education as the number of children being home educated has soared sharply since 2019. So those are the two topics. Please join in both of these discussions by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall now take a very quick break and when we come back we will continue with discussions on what's happening um, around the world as well as uh, within our community. So do stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
Ideally, I think the, the, the match that I took part in um, was arranged around two or three weeks ago. So usually what happens is throughout the whole year, the Majority Sarah Department who um, handle all the football tournaments, cricket tournaments, etc., anything related to health. Um, so they already had a, they had two finals um, yesterday. Um, one was being the National Football Tournament final um, between East and Betanur. So those are two regional teams. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they also had, we do, throughout the whole year, we had a KFL Super League. So Khudam Football League. Khudam is our young youth teams um, that took part in it. So it was a mixture. It wasn't regional based. So that was Barcelona. And I believe it was, I think it was another team, um, Barcel- uh, Barcelona v Morocco. Mm-hmm. So Barcelona won it. I think it was 4 0, 4 1, I believe. Great. And uh, the other final, better Nord one in penalties, which was good. And there was a special exhibition match held um, in the name of Talia Mushahid. Um, Talia Mushahid, due to an unforeseen incident, passed away while um, carrying out his duty for the community in Ghana. Um, so he basically, because he was a very f- he was he was a f- football fanatic mm. back in the day. So ideally, he did work in MTA International as well. Um, I had the chance <laughs> of. Having a good relationship with Tali, and I have played with him as well in football. Right. So, um, in so he created a team based on his high school friends back in two thousand and seven. Right. And a seven aside team, and um, his younger brother had the um, had an idea of carrying out Tali's wishes um, in order to. So he arranged a football match between the Gents FC. So that's the that's the team that Tali created, Empty International, where Tali worked. So we had the opportunity to play in that exhibition match for the Shield, um, Dale and Shahid Shield, um, yesterday, and uh, MTA International won the exhibition match by 4-2. Right, and, and, and you were part of the winning team. Yes, I was. Excellent. Uh, okay, congratulations so on yes, that. Was on so, so a, a little bit uh, more about uh, about uh, Dale Shahid. So uh, Shahid is, is a martyr, of course. And he was martyred while performing his duties uh, in Africa. He was actually gunned down, uh, unfortunately, in uh, in Africa while performing his duties for MTA, which is the Muslim Television Amdia News Channel. So, Imam Mubashir Afri, if I can come to you, did you have any uh, any association with Tale? Did you uh, did you work with him at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Tale with Tale, we had a good uh, relationship, especially because of football. Mm. So I remember pre-COVID as well. The, we used to play football regularly on a Friday. Mm. So it was held, you know, without any, you know, stop. Every Friday we, we would be playing football. Right. And it usually was a seven-a-side game. And one thing that I remember very vividly is that Dale was one of the people who was most excited about that mm. session. He would be coming with this electric enthusiasm that he usually had with this broad smile on his face, mm-hmm. you know, always, uh, you know, giving an extra push 
to his team right. and um, you know he would come to the pitch all in his uh, football kit and he'd be ready before anyone you know right. doing his stretches and um, you know in the pitch as well he had this eagerness of winning as well <laughs> so he had this very competitive spirit competitive spirit that you know we, we, we need to win our team must do this and um, at times you know he would uh, play with such enthusiasm that you know we would be surprised that you know because he was uh, much older than us I'll say much older he was about four or five years older than us so he, he, he would play with this whole attitude that you know I need to win we as a team need to perform well and then even during the breaks he would tell us you know this is what we have to do this is what our plans are and uh, it was just a such a you know casual moment that we would have in in in, in playing sports but outside of that and even in in, in um, work terms you know i had the opportunity to work with him uh, with the atfal amdia association so it's an association for the young men or the young uh, boys. boys of of the community, right. so boys between the ages of seven and fifteen, and we were working together in in that department, you know, catering for those b- kids and boys. And again, he was very enthusiastic about his work. He was running the magazine at one time mm. for the kids as well, for the boys. So he was very passionate about that as well. And I think everyone who has worked with him. They know that he was, you know, very dedicated, very sincere, and very, you know, loyal to the cause, to the point where, you know, even when he went to Africa, he went for the purpose of work, and the unfortunate event mm. that did take place, mm. which took uh, him away, yeah. uh, it was also a, a sign of, you know, his dedication. Right. So it's such a beautiful idea to have a football tournament in his in his memory, uh, just to you know keep his uh, his memory alive. Imam uh, Nabil, tell us a little bit about um, how was he like to work with? Um, I had the opportunity of uh, not directly working with him because mm-hmm. um, so in MTA International, as we know, there's various departments. He was yeah. working under MTA News at the time, and uh, it was just across the hall. Um, so not directly working under him but his work ethic was I mean it was something for him to be as a role model for all Mm. Um, I remember that he before I was in office he was already there and I remember at one point um, just for his own health benefits he would walk from Majid Fazil which is in Roehampton he would walk all the way to Betta Fatu which is an hour and a half walk ideally and he'll be there before us and he he would leave the last he'd be one of the last ones to leave for us as well. So I think in terms of work, I think and I think all of us already knew know as well the documentaries that he produced. Mm. If any of the listeners want to view it and see it, it's on MTA News um, YouTube channel. The documentaries he produced about Khilafat mm. and the community are emotional, and the amount of work that he had put in was I think undescribable. Um, it was crazy the amount of work he put in, etc. But I remember one um, incident, um, like uh, Zafi had mentioned that, because my connection was through him was more from football. Right. So like we played Friday football every week. Um, he arranged usually every year there would be a departmental football match. So it would be MTA against Review of Religions. Yeah. And this football match would be hyped out like 
two, three months before. <laughs> and there will be like verbal, I wouldn't say arguments, but everyone pumping each other up. And then I, I can imagine. The exactly. So yeah. if a review of religion member would come to MTA, he will visit every single one of the people who are playing right. and start, you know, um, positive, I would say, in terms of, mm. you know. Um, so I remember, I think a week before um, I had injured my knee and um, I didn't know fully to what extent the injury was and um, Talia Shahita would come to me and said we need you in the team, we need you in this role and I was telling him I think I might not even be able to play mm. um, due to the injury and uh, he said nothing will happen, nothing will happen, just, just play, um, just just do these simple duties that you've been given, just do them. I still, I still have the WhatsApp um, chat on my phone. Wow. And um, he said nothing will happen, just keep up, keep, I'll keep praying and everything. So so during the match, I had a specific role in where I would just um, either defend or hold the ball of their main player and that's it. Mm. And um, and I can say to this day, I had immense pain before the, before the match that happened. Mm. And um, But Alisa would come and he would just give me assurance, everything would be good and everything. And during the match, I didn't feel one sense of pain. Right. In anything I did, and I, I played quite intense during the game as well. And Dalitza kept pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. Mm. And once we, I would say, thrashed Review of Religions, <laughs> it was a really good game. But we came um, up ahead. Um, I think after that, um, like the following day, I, I couldn't walk. Mm. And the first first message I received in the morning was Dalitza's mm. that. Um, he, he, it was kind of funny the way he described it. He goes, he goes you sacrificed your leg for MT International. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you might not be able to... Uh, he goes, I hope you might get the chance to play again. Um, but you did enough for this match that you, w- you won't need to play again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And wow. But after that, once I got my knee reviewed, unfortunately, I damaged my cartilage a bit. Um, but after that, he kept following up, saying, how are you, etc. Right. So that is like... A, I would say like it's like a memory implant right in my brain right now. Mm-hmm. So every time Thailand subs, um, um, you know, name comes up, that's the first thing I remember. So mm-hmm. that through that I had a very special connection with Thailand sheep. Yeah, yeah, that's what I find uh, when I speak to to anybody and everybody who's had some interaction with Thailand. He's, he's, you know, one thing that stands out is that he's left a deep mark Definitely. in 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 that person's mind. Yeah. Um, whatever the association. So whether it was football or work or or anything else for that matter, and uh, that uh, does does say that you know he was indeed a a very special um, right. uh, special person, and it's great that you um, that you guys are celebrating um, in his memory. Okay, um, moving on, uh, uh, the uh, a special festival also uh, is coming. Later this week, uh, Imam Zafri, tell us a little bit about that. So this is the Eid festival. Uh, so we've already had an Eid about two months ago. Uh, what is this Eid about? So the Eid that's coming up this week is the Eid al-Adha, which basically means the Eid in which we celebrate the sacrifice that uh, Prophet Abraham made uh, and the, and his son, Prophet Ishmael made hmm. so it's to commemorate their sacrifice and it's to reignite the same valor passion and also the loyalty that was uh, displayed by both of these people towards God Almighty it's just a reminder for us 
to implement that within our lives. So it's to commemorate this. And in Islamic perspective, we believe that Abraham, when his child Ishbal had had you know reached an age where he was able to you know carry himself on his both feet, mm-hmm. God Almighty instructed Abraham to sacrifice his son Ishmael right. uh, through repeated dreams. So when he was uh, about to fulfill this dream by sacrificing his son. Allah Almighty sent his word saying that, you know, his sacrifice had been accepted and he had no longer need to, you know, carry out the action of physically sacrificing his son. So this was, you know, a test from God Almighty whether Abraham would, you know, do anything for his Lord. And of course, sacrificing one of your children. In fact, your eldest son which you have had after such a long time to sacrifice him that's such a difficult thing but he was ready to do that for God Almighty's sake mm. and then Allah Almighty you know oldest son which uh, which he had after uh, at a pretty old age yes yes absolutely uh, so it was, it was a difficult thing for him but he was ready to do that for God Almighty and then mm. God Almighty you know as a favour uh, you know, kept his name alive for the centuries to come. Right. So, you know, the, that Eid al-Adha is just a sign of that. Mm. So usually the difference between Eid al-Adha is, uh, and Eid al-Fitr is that Eid al-Fitr is one that follows after Ramadan and is to commemorate the 30 days or at least a month of fasting. Mm. Whereas the... And also, so uh, Eid is also celebrated as a, you know, towards the end of Hajj days as well, right. the pilgrimage. Which is happening these days. Which is absolutely happening these days. And also this this whole Hajj is also to commemorate, you know, the sacrifice of Abraham mm. uh, as well as fulfilling the obligation of Hajj in terms of, uh, carrying out all the aspects of Hajj for as as a worship mm-hmm. uh, towards Allah Almighty. So you know, it's n- Hajj starts on the ninth uh, day of the Hajjah. Mm. Uh, in fact, sorry, eighth of the Hajjah it starts, and then ninth and tenth. These two two days are spent on the tenth of the Hajjah. Is then basically when Eid takes place. Right. So, you know, anyone who has gone to Hajj, they probably know that you wear those white sheets. Yeah. Uh, and when you enter that state, it's called uh, the Ihram state, mm. in which there's certain things that you're not allowed to do. And basically, on the day of Eid is the day where you take off that mm. white or the, the white attire, and it's basically celebrate the end of Hajj as well mm. in terms of fulfilling the obligations of Hajj uh, so those are few things that are mentioned with regards to Eid al-Adha right excellent thank you very much um, Imam Aswan Minan how do you plan to celebrate Eid um, uh, this year or how do you usually celebrate Eid um, yeah so usually uh, Eid um, is, is a day of happiness and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him mm. has instructed everyone to dress nicely wear their new clothes right. 
um, especially shower that day. So it's a day to celebrate like in the whole year. That's one of the most uh, looked forward days in the mm-hmm. Islamic world. And uh, of course, with, as with any uh, happy moment, people tend to celebrate mostly with their families. Mm-hmm. So me personally as well, I usually get together with my uh, immediate family and my relatives, my cousins sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we go out in the park or have a picnic. And uh, obviously we start with the day with the Eid prayer, mm. uh, which is also um, a very important prayer. So everyone gathers and we do the Eid prayer. And after that, uh, we go um, and uh, just enjoy and celebrate the day. Um, usually go out in the park or some, some families go to restaurants, some mm. invite each other to their houses. But uh, everyone tends to uh, get together with someone with family, and yeah. celebrate this moment. Excellent, right. And uh, do you all plan to read your Eid uh, prayer here in Bethel Fatou Mosque? Uh, yes, inshallah, hopefully. We will, but at least for myself, I can speak. We will be trying to come here right. to attend the... Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Likely, you as well. Yeah. Um, and Mambati, are yes. you going to be here? Okay, inshallah. excellent. So so will I. So, yeah, hopefully. Lansab, how do you usually... You know, how do I celebrate? Yeah. Exactly, very, very similar to what uh, Imam Usman Milan described. So yeah, Eid is the day with family. Is the is the you know as uh, you start off the day with uh, with prayer, and um, uh, and then it's uh, it's a family day. And yes, uh, as again as Usman Milan uh, Imam Usman Milan was describing, I am one of the families. Uh, uh, or part of the family which goes to a restaurant so we don't <laughs> so you don't, you don't hold the traditional barbecue so <laughs> you don't do the traditional barbecue that a so lot of people do on the, on the, on these days well it depends on the weather also yeah um, but these days the weather is fine so yeah we might do barbecue but but usually yeah, we prefer to yeah just take it easy I um, I I it's a day of celebration. You should you don't want to be doing any work. Exactly. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say that. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a day for Eid for me as well. So yeah, I don't. Uh, and unlike you, I'm not a great um, uh, cook or or a fan of cooking. Oh. So <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's a chore for worse. me. It, it's a it's a chore for me. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's a barbecue. Right. <laughs> Right, excellent. So that uh, wraps up our uh, segment around what's uh, not only happening around the world, but also happening around uh, around the community. And hopefully that would have given you a good flavor of uh, uh, what's happening as well as what uh, is there to come. We shall now take a very quick break. And when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, which is about UK mortgage rates to rise further. Please do stay tuned. You're 
listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Assalamualaikum. Welcome back to the radio show, uh, breakfast show. And uh, following the news, we will be going into the first segment for today, um, which will be the U- UK mortgage rates to rise further. So the gist of the story is that borrowers are being warned mortgage rates are set to rise further as turbulence continues to hit the market. Broker London and Country said lenders had been withdrawing deals and rising and raising rates at a relentless pace, and this week would bring, bring more of the same. Mortgage rates have gone up about 0.5% in the last month to approach, to approach an average fixed deal of 6%. On Monday, Santander became the largest, latest biggest lender to temporarily withdraw new deals to to market conditions <coughs> right so um, w- what does this mean for uh, uh, for people um, in this country at the moment so interest rates actually have been rising steadily um, so it's impossible to say how interest rates make uh, interest rates um, uh, which direction which uh, direction long-term interest rates uh, may take uh, without having a crystal ball but i think it's it's quite apparent and obvious at the moment that uh, as far as uh, the short term or the medium term even is concerned that uh, interest rates are expected to um to rise or um uh, to uh, at least to stay at the at the current level so the central bank has targeted uh, getting inflation down to 2% by the end of 2024 it is currently at a higher than expected 8.7% and the stubborn inflation rate means rises could continue for a while yet, uh, according to some economists. Um, anyway, so interest rates are now expected to peak at nearly 6%. So a lot of people were saying earlier that uh, they were peaking or had peaked at around 5%, but it is now being expected that they will uh, probably um, rise further and by mid-2024, they might even reach 6%. This according to Think Tank Resolution Foundation. The two-year the two um, average fixed mortgage rate uh, hitting has hit a high of 6.25%. Um, already some rates being offered on mortgages um, uh, have risen um, uh, even more than 6.5%, according to Uswitch. The comparison firm reported that the average mortgage rate was uh, 64 6.44% on the 22nd of June and uh, it, it does look like that uh, interest rates are expected to rise further. Households on tracker mortgages uh, or, neg- or those renegotiating fixed rates will already have seen a rise in monthly payments. The typical size mortgage has been has seen a £300 hike in monthly payments on average since September last year. This according to debt um, charity step change, um, gentlemen. I uh, I have um, anecdotally uh, um, seen um, or heard a, a lot of cases where um, a lot of people on rent have been asked to vacate their houses because um, the landlords cannot afford to pay their mortgages anymore, and uh, they they want to sell the house as a result of that, and therefore. Uh, the the people renting that particular premises have been asked to vacate. Have you heard, um, Imam Zafri, any any such instance? Yeah, I know a few people who have had to move out because uh, the landlord can no longer afford the 
mortgage and has had you know is forced to for sell their property so that's something that's taking a toll especially for people who in the first place can't afford a property to their name who are already renting out and that doesn't mean that everyone who's renting can't afford their own property some of the people choose not to buy their own property but nevertheless things have uh, occurred whereby house uh, owners or landlords they are for being forced to force their tenants out of accommodation just because you know the raising prices interest rates the market and even when they are trying to sell it a lot of them are finding it difficult to sell because you know the market's so volatile right now so yes you're right we I've myself have heard of some people moving out due to this factor Right, um, Imam Bati, have you had any uh, any anecdotal? Yes, definitely. Um, I know a few friends <coughs> as well. Um, mm. Most of their tenancy agreements are coming to an end. Mm. So either if landlords have, it's not even like a, you know, um, I would say like a natural increase in the rent, maybe like a fifty pounds or hundred pounds. They mm. have actually increased the rent by two, three hundred pounds. Wow. Right. Um, and it takes a toll on families, of course. especially if you have little children. Yeah. Um, and at a time where even finding a house around these areas is very difficult. Sure. Um, you know, um, to find a house, it doesn't just take, okay, I found a house within the budget. There's a lot of factors that play in finding a house or an apartment. Mm. The, the, the schools that the children need to go to, how long the commute to work is. Correct. If it's feasible enough for us to even move that that further away from a specific place um, I think I wouldn't ideally blame the landlords in that sense right now the living conditions you know um, is hard if you are a landlord because I know a few people who own properties um, the amount of, I know people have have, have taken out mortgages etc and it's very difficult for them to pay like like we already know that it's not only been like a full year since Covid finished mm. Um, so small businesses have to, have had a huge impact in that sense. Right. And if those businesses own a few properties and the, the sole income is through rent mm. and if they're not matching the rent with a mortgage, it becomes very difficult. And if their business hasn't run for the past two, three years, for them to go back into business and then start up that business and get customers in, it takes a lot of time. It's not that easy. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of factors that are in play. Um, and those people who have taken mortgages, are, I know some of them have changed their mortgage deals in just playing, paying interest only because mm. they can't afford it anymore. Yeah. Um, and have increased their deal in the yeah. mortgage deal. Yeah. So ideally, it does impact a lot of people. And I believe it's not just, you know, property owners. I think the government has a huge role to play in terms of helping them out. Um, you know, um, as even the government knows that COVID came by mm. and inflation hit fully. So either incomes haven't increased that much where they can afford their day-to-day needs and um, groceries. Uh, I saw a, um, I would say, a Twitter meme or Instagram meme where back in around, if you say, 10, th- 10 years ago, 50 pounds worth of groceries was a lot. You can get a lot in that. Yeah. But 50 pounds worth of groceries now is compared to nothing. Yeah. So I think it has impact um, the daily lives of people um, ideally and there should be some sort of solution instead of everything going up. Um, you know, so I hope that comes soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, it's it's very troubling, and uh, for common people, uh, for for most people, I'd say it's a double double whammy because inflation is high, which means that you know your 
average cost of uh, living has increased a lot. You mentioned groceries. Um, and then you have to cough up this additional two, three hundred, four hundred pound payment a month yeah. for um, uh, for your um, uh, for your rental. So you know you're hit on both sides, and uh, that really makes you question the the rationale of the government to bring. You know they're trying to increase in interest rates, bring inflation down. That's going to take some time, but it's but it's hit. It it is hitting the common man Definitely. immediately because Definitely. it's hitting them both ways. Yeah. The inflation is already high and that's something that they have had to grapple with um, for a long time anyways. And uh, and now, you know, you can't even find, and you're right, it's it's not easy to find a, um, a new house uh, for, especially for a family. I mean, if, if you're alone, then then it, it's, it's probably slightly easier. But if you've got a family, if you've got kids, you've got to look at so many things. You've yeah. got to look at schooling. You've, you've got to look at commute uh, uh, to and from work, and um, and then so many other. And and you know this uh, this ULES uh, thing yeah. as well at the moment, <laughs> which ridiculous. is which is another <laughs> which is another headache for uh, for a lot of people. Um, you know, again, mixed views. Uh, on that as well, uh, a lot of people have. Right. Let's. Um, so, so I think that's um, that probably uh, sets us up very nicely f- uh, for a discussion around what is Islam, uh, what is the Islamic economic system, and why um, is it important, therefore, to have a system at all, which, uh, which, uh, as you were saying, which um, which supports the common man, which helps uh, the common man. And um, uh, the Islamic system is uh, is one that obviously doesn't um, prescribe interest, um, uh, interest taking interest or giving interest at all. Let's now uh, go live to our our guest for this segment, Imam uh, Braza, who is an Imam within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um, in Croydon, and. Um, uh, he will uh, hopefully shed some light on um, uh, on this on this rather tricky subject at the moment, which is which is you know in everybody's mind. Why do we why are we being hit on both sides? Assalamualaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome uh, and good morning, Imam Raza. Assalamualaikum, good morning, um, Imam Raza. You you may have heard uh, the preamble that um, uh, that we've just uh, um, talked about. Um, how does <coughs> What's Islamic Islam solution to the quandary many people find themselves in at the moment? Um, so as far as um, I mean, we we are talking about interest, and we're talking about how in this <laughs> the, the 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 world that we're living in um, to to live within your means and don't go beyond your means mm. um, this is something that a lot of people find find difficulties at the moment because the thing is you have to look at what led you to to this situation what led you to this point we're talking about decades and decades of living uh, a certain lifestyle mm. and then now all of a sudden to change that, it's not going to be very easy. Mm. When it comes to interest, Islam has uh, clearly, and this is not just Islam, um, even in previous religions, this was forbidden by God Almighty. 
And in Islam, because it's the pinnacle of religion, it goes as far as to say that if you don't stop with it, or if you keep dealing uh, with usury and interest, then it's akin to starting or, or you know starting a war with God Almighty. Mm. <clears throat> That's how serious God Almighty has has, has, has described it. And yeah. please yeah, go. go ahead. Uh, no, I was I was just trying to um, uh, to add that I I think you know that makes so much sense given that household debt in in the UK at the moment is an all time high. You were mentioning people living beyond their means and you know this whole um, consumption society that we've built. And this credit card culture that we have built, which which is also obviously based on interest rates. I mean, yeah, yeah, banks. Uh, that's that's what banks thrive on. So um, that that just exacerbates the problem. Uh, you know, you just um, you're living beyond your means, and then you take on more debt just to keep up with the Joneses. And um, uh, when interest rates rise, you uh, you hit. You don't have a choice. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? You have officially signed a contract. You have made sure that you're part of this vicious circle. Um, and, uh, you know, most people don't read the fine print. If you need the money, you need the money. If you want to spend, you want to spend. So these are things that we don't tend to think at the moment. Well, the this the lure that you, that you lured into the, this this picture of oh I'm going to have it I don't have to pay for it right now I mean who is not attracted by that so I mean th- this is this is one of the reasons why Islam has said that if you want to have a peaceful society if you want to have a society where everybody benefits and everybody um, and, and nobody falls into this trap then you have to abolish usury. You have to abolish interest. Money is something. It's a, it's a common good, right? It's there for uh, people in the society. And Islam says that do not have this this um, uh, this this acquiring of wealth and 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 a, and a handful of people just have the majority of the wealth. It's there to be in circulation so that everybody benefits from it. And you're not supposed to hoard. If you have, even in Islam, there's a concept of zakat mm. that if you have, for example, wealth lying around right. for one year, let's say I have 10,000 pounds, mm. which are in my bank account for one year, I don't touch that money at all. After one year, I have to pay my share for the society of that wealth or off that capital that, that is sitting in my bank account, right. which is not doing anything for me, yeah. right? Or for the society. Right. So Islam says that you need to pay your share from that, whatever part that is, or even if it's gold or any kind of valuable item that, that you have, which does not benefit you, does not benefit the society for one year, you pay a certain amount on that <coughs> to make sure that we give back to the society and you play your part um, in, in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned was that um, it's also a thing that people put themselves into as well. It's a vicious circle that uh, 
mm. you know people choose to get into uh, at, you know at a stage where they decide to get into a contract uh, and you know even those people who go out and get their credit cards uh, you know without understanding the consequences that can occur so you know sometimes that's also because of the lifestyle that people are living this extravagant lifestyle where you know going out eating out buying new things uh, and i think subsequently what happens is that um sorry consequently what happens is that people then start falling into the pit of borrowing money which they don't have and then un- being unable to pay it back and that then just keeps you know they fall deeper in the pit of Vicious debt cycle. yeah so what does Islam teach about you know having or what sort of lifestyle does Islam promote which ensures that people who practice their religion and also those who are living who are living under the Islamic uh, principles how they should carry out so that they they yeah. don't fall in this trap so uh, in, uh, in in every aspect when it comes to Islam there's always there's always two extremes in life, yeah. So you can either either go to one side or to the other side. Islam is a way of moderation. So anything that you do, if you keep within the the, the boundaries of moderation, then that is what Islam prescribes. <clears throat> For example, when it comes to prayer, I mean, prayer is a is a good example. When in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his companions, they would, um, you know, obviously be beginning the worship of God Almighty. So one time, what happened is that a, a one of the female companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, she came to the Prophet and complained about her husband. And she said that my husband, I mean, I have no problem with him. He, he's a wonderful man. However, he is constantly busy in the service or in the worship of God Almighty. So all day long, he fasts. He keeps a fast. And all night, he is busy in, in, in prayer. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, be upon him, he called that companion. He said, look, your family has a right upon you. You have a right upon them. Even when it comes to prayer, which is the highest form um, or, or, or the best thing within a religion, even when it came to that, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, upon him said that there has to be moderation. You have to give the rights due to God Almighty, and you have to give the rights due to the people. So even uh, so in, um, when it comes to anything else, you have to keep this principle in mind, right? Um, living within your means, don't go to one extreme or don't go to the other extreme. God Almighty, all, all you know, over and over again in the Holy Quran, He states that spend out of that which we have given you, and um, it, it talks about the rights of the orphans. He talks about the rights of the wayfarer. It talks about the rights of those who are less fortunate in society. So keeping all of these things in mind, and then of course you have the life and the example and the character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah upon him, how he lived his life. Because ultimately, he was the living embodiment of the Holy Quran. He told us with his life, with his example, how certain verses or what 
what it means when when you know the, these verses that God Almighty has revealed in the Holy Quran. Hmm. And his life, as we know, was a life of simplicity. Right. You remember so, you know you've talked about simple lifestyle, that's that's what Islam promotes. Uh but you also talked about the fact that Islam doesn't prescribe, uh, in fact, is is very anti-interest. And it's, uh, Allah says that it's a, it's a war that Allah will, will declare on the people who actually take interest. I mean, it sounds, sounds like a very, very revolutionary concept. No interest? Really? I mean, yes. um, you know, in today's world, everything is based on our interest. You know, you take a, you take a personal loan, that's interest. You take a credit card, that's interest. You take a mortgage, that's interest. Um, uh, and and here you are you're saying that Islam says no interest. I mean that, that's that's kind of fundamental, very fundamental change, doesn't it? It is, yes. And if you look at the reasons why, you will understand. I mean, I remember one time the whole, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya was security. He was asked this question over and over again, like many many times. And if you look around the world today, I mean, we we've just talk about the Ukraine conflict, you talk about, uh, you know, so many conflicts that are happening around the world. Mm. They thrive. Interest thrives on these these conflicts. Mm. I mean, it's not a secret. This is not something that uh, I'm coming up with or, or, or the community has come up with. Mm. This, is, this is common knowledge, I think, these days. That war is good for certain people. Sure. They it's they good for business. they make it's it's, it's good, good for certain for business. businesses. Yeah. <laughs> it, exactly. And the longer a war goes, the better it is. Because of interest, because of the you know, all the terms and conditions that are that are that are applied with that. Mm. Islam again in that society that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings was sent to, even in that society interest was was um you know it was it was a it was big business for the people for the arabs at that time before mm-hmm. Islam. and to change that that uh, that mindset that it's all about me and i don't have to give back it's all about what i can do for myself how can i get more money out of people and put them in a misery to change that kind of mindset that's what faith does that's what religion does and it was revolutionary and hence, if you think about it now, yes, this world thrives on interest, but ultimately it takes you away from the worship of God. It takes you away mm-hmm. from the real purpose that we have been created for. And, so and to the, change that, yeah. Sorry, so you know, just to uh, sort of add to the point that you're making, it, the world not only strives on, on wars, uh, but it also, uh, it also thrives, I should say, on conflict as well. So, according to yeah. Oxfam, 573 new billionaires were created just during pandemic. That's uh, at the rate of one every 30 hours. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. you know, that's uh, that's just one number which shows, which, which, you know, again, going back to the point that you were making earlier about accumulation of wealth and how Islam has this beautiful system of zakat. To, to counter that accumulation of wealth. And here we are in, in the midst of a system where literally millions, if not billions, are, are suffering. And 
new billionaires are being created. I mean, uh, that's how it is. So that the one stat which I actually learned from you was that the world's ninety percent of the wealth is owned by the top one percent, or yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> something like that, around yeah. these lines. Yeah, it is. A, I think these are very, very stark numbers. Okay, so, um, so you're saying that it, the Islamic um, economic system is number one, where there is no interest. And number two, where um, people who uh, who are rich and who do not uh, circulate their wealth, then they have a tax um, on them, which is uh, which is the zakat, the tax of zakat. Uh, if we can very quickly talk about another system which we have within the community, which is um, the system of the will, um, which. Um, uh, it, it can go um, anywhere, which which can range anywhere. I should say between ten percent to to thirty three percent of one's uh, wealth and income. Can you just very quickly talk about that, Imam Reza? Are you there? I think we have lost Imam Reza, and we will try and get him back as um, as soon as we can. Right. So 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 we are talking about the the rise in interest rates, and we're talking about how that. Um, uh, it, 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 that has uh, really upset the balance within the society, how that um, has affected people like um, you and me, people, uh, you know, the Joe blogs on the street, where um, not only uh, are we hit by a high inflationary rate, we are also hit by the fact that um, a lot of people have been asked to vacate their houses. Um and then we've been talking about, uh, uh, you know, an economic system which uh, uh, which Islam promotes and which which uh, talks about, which creates a more equitable and just society. Uh, Imam uh, uh, Zafri, um, yeah, what, what's the um, uh, within the Islamic economic system? What what is the system of will that uh, we have within the Amdi Muslim community? Absolutely. So one thing you must remember uh, is that uh, the will isn't an innovation. It's not an addition. In fact, it's just an ongoing concept uh, of, you know, financial sacrifice within mm. the community, within those members who have joined the community. But when we look at the basic principles of zakat, uh, you must remember that zakat is compulsory on Muslims but another thing that uh, we often miss or dismiss <laughs> is the you know f the the concept of jizya as well which is taxation so mm. Islam especially must remember that after the demise of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him um, Islam had not though the Holy Prophet had been had been the conqueror of you know Mecca and had conquered Arabia but there was a whole world out there that was still to be explored, still to be seen. Mm. So in the time of the caliphs, especially Hazrat Umar, the second caliph of Islam, in his era, Islam had now widespread, you know, all the way to North Africa, you know, Muslims were traveling. And the empire as well ha was growing substantially, you know, uh, so, you know, it had spread to Syria, hmm. it had spread to Iraq, hmm. so the Islamic Empire was growing and of course there were areas 
that also had people who were non-Muslims. So how do you now run a country without going into the, you know, or falling into the pitfall of interest, people finding it difficult to live, recession, inflation? How do you prevent that? So the system of um, zakat was very important. So you know to hold all the money in one house. The Islam doesn't promote that, and Islam also doesn't speak about you know the communism uh, concept where you know the wealth is shared amongst the residents of a country. Uh, nor does it have that in a very unnatural manner. In an unnatural manner, absolutely. It speaks about sharing. Yeah, but it doesn't say that you know everyone must get the same amount, equal amount. Of course, there will be some superiors, some inferiors. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, but Islam speaks of sharing wealth in a way which enables the nation to develop. Exactly, which enables growth grow. of the society as well, Absolutely. as well as equitable and just um, society. We are coming up to the eight o'clock news. Um, uh, I, I believe we've got Imam Reza back um, on the line. Imam Reza, if you if you're still there, we what we would like to ask you after the news break is uh, the the responsibility of the state in terms of food and shelter. Uh, what uh, is the Islamic concept around that? So if you could just uh, kindly stay on the line, we will come back to you right after the 8 o'clock news. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 26th of June, 2023. The time is 8.03 a.m. And you're listening to Daniel Zia, Imam Mubashar Zafri, Imam Usman Manan, and Imam Nabil Bhatti live from the South London series of Voice of Islam. The topic that we have this morning is about interest rates and mortgage rates. Um, and we, before we went on to the news break, we were talking to Imam Raza. Uh, who is an imam uh, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And he was talking to us about um, uh, really this, um, uh, the, the Islamic system where there is no interest, where the where a system which guarantees circulation of wealth, where the wealth doesn't get accumulated into a few hands. And um, uh, before we went on to the, onto the news break, uh, the question that I wanted to put to you, Imam Raza, is... Uh, this other very important facet of the Islamic um, uh, Islamic system is the responsibility of the state in terms of providing food and shelter. So um, again, you know, just to put some context around that, we were earlier on talking about uh, 
how people uh, are being affected as um, uh, those who are not even on mortgage being affected by the rise in, in interest rates and ri- rise in mortgages because they've been asked to vacate their houses because the landlords cannot pay uh, uh, their mortgage um, uh, installments and they want to sell the houses now. So Imam Reza, if you're still there, if you can shed, yeah. uh, shed a bit of light around this important facet of the Islamic economic system or the Islamic system where the state takes this responsibility. And and maybe okay, if you can, uh, sorry, uh, give an example of um, of an earlier from an uh, from the earlier uh, period of Islamic history from the rightly gui- guided caliphs, where this did exist. Um, so it's not something that we that's by in the sky. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was thinking about as well. Um, there's one very beautiful incident of uh, Caliph Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, who was the second caliph of of Islam after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, he he was, again, we're looking at, not just from a religious point of view, he was he was also, or the caliphs later on, even the Holy Prophet was, was a statesman. Not because they wanted to, but because they were put into that situation. Mm-hmm. You had the Islamic Caliphate, you had the, um, the Islamic Empire, and the caliph was not just a religious leader, but he was also the political head of the state. He was, uh, from a worldly point of view, the one who was responsible for for his followers. And so one day he was going through the streets of Medina and he 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 came to this house and this is him going around the streets in disguise. Um and he comes to this one one house where um uh, there was a woman and she had children and those kids were hungry. And they were very poor, and the woman kind of pretended to be cooking something so the kids would, you know, stay, uh, wouldn't cry, or had some kind of anticipation, okay, food is coming. But she was so poor. And and she couldn't she couldn't afford any food. So basically, what she was doing, there were rocks. She was boiling rocks in, in in water, so the kids were thinking that something is going to be cooked. And she complained about basically the head of the state, which was Caliph Omar at that time. And Caliph Omar, who was he was standing there, he could hear what she was saying, and this had such an impact on him. This this was. Yeah, it, it 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 impacted him so much that he went to the treasury right away, and he started to load up a cart with you know the basic necessities and the basic goods and basic items. And there was a servant with him at that time, and he 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 wanted to help California. I mean, this is this is the head of the states. This, this is the the caliph of of the nation of mm-hmm. of, of the world, basically. Yeah. Of course, you want to you know b- b- give him a hand or do everything for him. But Caliph Omar, may Allah be pleased with him, he stopped him right there and then. The reason being was, and he told him that look, this is my responsibility. I am the caliph. I am the one who is responsible for for the people in 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 my in my country or in, in my kingdom. On the day of judgment, that burden will be on my shoulders. Right. You will not be able to carry that burden. So today I don't want you to carry that burden. I mean this was this was the way how 
they used to think at that time. That I am responsible, and he would say that even if a dog at the at mm. the um, at the banks of the river Euphrates dies, mm. that's my responsibility. Yeah. That's because of me. And I mean, we're we're talking <laughs> that that's a very extreme example. Yeah. If it's a dog, but uh, you know, clearly there's a lot more value that we can give to a human life. And if you have a situation like this today where people, not just, I mean, we're not talking about adults, but even children and families with children, young children, mm. cannot afford breakfast. They rely on schools to provide that for them. And they are, you know, holiday season is, is like the worst season for them because they can't provide for their children or children won't have you know, a hot meal per day or breakfast on, on that day. That is a very, very serious and it's a tragic and it's a sad situation. So the state needs to make sure this is um, on, on their shoulders that at least the basic necessities, which again, have nothing to do with politics, have nothing to do with the world that we're living in or anything. Hmm. This was started by Prophet Adam. This is a religious injunction, and, and from faith it came from the very early ages to, to, for, for food, for mm. shelter, for clothing. Basic necessities. Right. So, Imam Reza, you're painting a very, very rosy picture here. I mean, it almost sounds like uh, <laughs> nirvana. I mean, so an Islamic system where, uh, you know, there are no interests, number one. The wealth is, is circulated uh, so that... Uh, Fewer and fewer, uh, it, it it doesn't get accumulated in 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 a few hands, and then on top of that, you know, the state takes responsibility for uh, the basic uh, necessities of life. Um, the question that would come to uh, to a listener's mind is that if this is what the Islamic system is, if this is what Islam uh, prescribes and prescribed fourteen hundred years ago. There are many uh, Muslim countries, um, 40-odd Muslim countries, I think, to my memory, around the world. Why don't we see any example of that at the moment? Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful question. It's a very valid question. You're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> look, um, <laughs> just by calling yourself a Muslim or just by saying that you're a Muslim country doesn't do anything. It's just a title. It's just a label, right? The aspect of faith is something that you show with your example. Hmm. I mean, you can have the biggest labels, you can have uh, the biggest titles, but if it's not followed by actions, it doesn't mean anything whatsoever. And then, I mean, there, there, there's many aspects. There, there's many ways to answer this this question. But I think it's not as bad as it sounds um, at the moment. But it was basically prescribed, and it's, it's a prophecy of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It, this was meant to happen, because this was paving the way for the reformer of the age. This was paving the way for the promised Messiah, the Mahdi, the prophet of the age to come and to appear in the latter days to tell people about the true teachings of Islam. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said at one point that there will be a time where you will have certain 
you will have the Muslim faith, you will have the Holy Quran, you will have the mosques, but this it will just be you know hollow. Would not they wouldn't have any content? They wouldn't have any essence to it. Um, and and that would be the time when the Prophet Messiah of the age would come and he would appear and and reform the society. And again, the the system of Lasia, the the will that you were talking about before. This was introduced by him, and again, his his the caliphs that came after him, they explained ways and how to create that society that you know that rosy picture that I'm painting, mm-hmm. how you can turn that into a reality. So you have the you know the new world order, the system of Tehrik-e-Jadid and whatnot, um, and and all of these things combined, which then would lead up to a point where you can have people that are not interested. In, in how they can help themselves, but first and foremost, you will have people who are interested in how they can help other people. Companions like the Holy Prophet who, at their dying bed, refused to take water because they said, give it to my brother first. Oh. Companions, when they were dealing with each other, they would fight and argue about uh, the actual price saying that I want to give you more than you're asking for. And companions who who were at a stage where literally it was it was all about how I can benefit my my fellow beings, my my society. Don't get me wrong, we're not uh, whatever I'm saying or whatever we're saying, it's not about wealth is bad. That's not what we're saying. Exactly. That's not what I'm saying. Wealth is not bad. It's about what you do with that wealth. Hmm. Amazing. Excellent. Uh, Imam Reza, always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, this was very enlightening. Thank you so very much for joining us um, early in the morning. This, uh, I think this was very all-encompassing. Um, and I think we can easily end this segment uh, with those words. So thank you once again for joining us. Um, and hopefully see you soon. Thank you very much. Wa Have a lovely day. So that was Imam Reza, who is also an imam within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community talking to us about the Islamic economic system and the solutions Islamic economic system offers to the problems of the modern age. Right, with that we conclude the first segment um, on the rise in interest rates and the rise in mortgage rates and we'll take a quick break uh, now and when we come back after the break we shall talk about education and the rise in home education in uh, in recent years is that a trend is that um uh, just a, a blip at the moment is that uh, is that a short term thing we shall talk to an expert on that as well so please do stay tuned with so many attacks on islam and the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam let's set the record straight he was a man of peace he went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs he was mocked and ridiculed but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding, yet he did not retaliate, because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom, because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them 
because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was a true man of peace. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you all. Good morning to everyone. It's 18 past 8 and if you've just joined Voice of Islam, we are currently going through the breakfast show. We've just finished with one of our segments and we were speaking about interest rates, what's the Islamic perspective on uh, living, uh, mortgage and what sort of solutions does Islam present to the dilemmas that we are presented when it comes to taking out a mortgage, the you know mortgage rates and the whole issue with the living crisis that we are faced with in this day and age. With that coming to an end, we now move to our second segment in, in which we'll be speaking about the importance of education, the different types of um, methods that are deployed for educating our youngsters and the traditional manner in which the, you know, our most or a large chunk of the population is educated is through the educational system that has been established by the government. So. Kids start going to school at a very young age, uh, starting from nursery all the way up to reception, and then they enter primary school, and till year six they are there. And then from there they go on to high school. Some people stay there till their GCSEs, and then they start doing whatever they please to do. Uh, some people, of course, trying to attain a higher education trying to attain a degree, uh, naturally go through the process of uh, filling um, their two years uh, with A-level uh, education and then they move on to going into universities, uh, going into various different courses, different degrees. So this is the education system in, you know, in few words. Uh, but recently, uh, and the thing that we will be discussing is uh, home education and how that has been soaring up in the past few years uh, and we'll see and look into some of its um, negative aspects some of its positive aspects uh, so there was a story that was published in the BBC or on the BBC website uh, which speaks of uh, home education and it says that the number of pupils who are being home educated in Kent and Medway has risen more than 50% within the last five years. Um, basically, a total of 3,044 children in Kent, they were being home educated in April 2022, uh, compared with uh, 1,997 in 2018. So according to Freedom of Information figures, uh, obtained by BBC Radio Kent. So this is just one uh, county uh, and the numbers are representing just one county but this is the story across the board. Uh, the number in Medway has risen from 405 to 608 over the same uh, amount of time and the Department for Education said um, any decision to home educate should have the child's best interests at heart. 
Um, council officials say the reasons behind the rise include uh, problems such as mental health, bullying, uh, and parents' dissatisfaction with schools, the way their kids are treated, the way uh, things, information uh, that is given to them. And quite recently, some of the things that uh, people aren't agreeing with is the PHSE lessons that are being taught in school, some of the content that is being given to some very young children, uh, which the content is, you know, age-restricted, is being shown to them. Uh, Of course, there's always arguments, counter-arguments. Nevertheless, parents are disagreeing with things and would rather teach them themselves and be well-versed with the course or the content that they'll be giving to their kids. Now, if if you look at it, we see that um, home education is not just a trend, but it's something that is becoming quite prevalent. Uh, and we see this in the figures that I presented before you. So it's important to understand that uh, a lot of the people who do uh, you know, go through home education. Uh, some argue that they are missing out on a lot of things, uh, such as, you know, having the ability to work with others, uh, having the ability to cope with different situations that might not be presented uh, at home, having the understanding of having other children who have different temperaments how to deal with them so those are a few of the things that people uh, speak of so Imam Usman have you heard of anyone or know anyone who has had some what uh, you know home education in their setup or you know what, what you know when you hear the words home education what sort of things go through your mind yes so I think the first thing which goes through my mind is uh, you mentioned the dissatisfaction of parents with their school um, and I think this this issue is rising and it, parents are more hesitant to send their people uh, their, their students their children to, uh, to school uh, because of the as you mentioned because of the content which is being taught which is being taught now uh, and one of some of the issues are that uh, schools are trying to impose their beliefs on their children uh, in terms of, uh, for example, the LGBT community or uh, transgenders or pronoun issues, uh, these things <coughs> uh, are now kind of becoming part of the part of the um, circular. And uh, teachers teachers are being forced to teach these things uh, because they say this is the new um, these are this is the new uh, information. This is the new thing. How, how schools are being run now. So obviously, parents. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, Muslim parents, who, which are because Islam is against um, all uh, all kinds of homosexuality and um, changing your gender and alteration in, in the creation of God. So, parents, Muslim parents who are ch- sending their children to school, they will be naturally worried that it's a very young child. You ch- you tell them anything, and the, the child will believe it. Or even if he doesn't believe it right now, the children will grow up learning these things, thinking about these things, and they might 
start questioning themselves. Am I a boy or am I a girl? Uh, well, I remember a few. I think last year there was there was a story which came out. That there's a family, right? A couple. They they basically they 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 separated their children from uh, all kinds of the whole society, right. and they made their house very like uh, unicolor. So it was like gray. There was no blue and pink. There was no boy colors. There was no girl colors. Right. They had two children. They did not differentiate between between them. They didn't teach them that what is a boy and what is a girl. They they their way of treating um, the way of uh, teaching their children was that we are gonna leave them m- as um, um, so as uh, balanced as we can. We won't teach them anything about agendas anything about differences and they just let their children live like this and they wanted to avoid mixing into the society uh, because they thought that the society will impact them negatively or maybe positively so there's a on the other hand there's people like that who are separating the children because they don't want them to uh, get mixed up into these things absolutely you're right Um, so mom uh, Nabil just for the benefit of our listeners, you know, some people might be confused when they hear about homeschooling and, you know, some people might not even uh, believe it that, you know, some kids don't even go to school. They are all educated at home. Uh, so so for the benefit of the, our listeners, could you just tell us what homeschooling actually is? You know, what's the history behind it, how it started? Sure. If you could just give us, a, you know, some light... You know, if you could shed some light on that. Yeah, sure. So basically, it's in the name, homeschooling. So ideally, homeschooling involves um, parents educating their children at home instead of sending them to a traditional public private school, high school, or um, primary school. Right. So the background to homeschooling is that the movement began growing in the 1970s and is very popular today. Um, About 6% of school-age children were homeschooled during the 2021-2022 school year. Um, I think that would be during the pandemic. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, yeah, according to the National Home Education Research Institution. Um, that equates to about 3.1 million student, students in grades uh, K through 12. So primarily it would be, um, you know, uh, primary school to high school plus A-levels that were tutored at home. Um, so there's not a simple def- uh, definition to homeschooling. Um, it's the, the simple um, the definition would be is when a child is educated outside the school system um, by a parent, guardian, or tutor. Um, it's usually it takes place in on a full time basis, um, as legally as we know that all children must receive a full time education from the age of five. There's no um, exact schedule or formula to homeschooling. Um, any sort of, I think, um, circulum can be used to, to educate the child um, that is decided by the parent or by the tutor. Um, and I, you don't need any qualifications in terms of educating your child. Um, some people might believe they might have to hire a tutor in homeschooling their children, but that's not true. You don't need a certain type of education. The circulum can be decided by the parent, can be taught by the parent. Um so the question arises, who can be homeschooled in terms of that? So any child can be homeschooled by the parent or guardian 
as long as they've given they've been given a full time education. Right. Um, the only exception is that if, of course, if the child has special needs, he will go to a special needs school. Um, that's that's um, that's understood. Um, I think a lot of people are going towards this options. Reason being that I think even uh, our generation, we know that when you go to high school or primary school, it's very difficult to get that one-on-one attention from a teacher. And um, you know, so in terms of that, yeah, right. Um, so it makes sense that you know homeschooling is you know becoming quite popular with parents, um, and of course education is also you know it's somewhat changing. So we've got um, an expert uh, as a guest here today with us, who's going to be speaking to us about education and you know the different trends that are, uh, you know, growing when it comes to education. So we've got Dr. Ambrose Neal, uh, who's co-chair of Education Otherwise, uh, a management consultant with a, a background in chemical engineering and education. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Peace and blessings of uh, Allah be upon you. Um, thanks for joining us uh, this early in the morning. And we're, we're very happy and, you know, overjoyous to have you with us here today. Um, could you just, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, tell us a little about yourself and what education otherwise is? Uh, first of all, um, thank you very much for having uh, having the charity on um, and a good morning to yourself and to all your listeners. I have been listening in on the discussion on home education. Um, just one minor uh, point, and that is, Homeschooling is not necessarily the same as home education. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that will come out as we go through uh, this discussion over the next uh, couple of minutes. But in a nutshell, um, yes, I'm, uh, I'm background in as chemical engineer in educa- and in education over probably 30 odd, 30 plus years. Right. But, in, but in terms of uh, the charity, education, otherwise, Education otherwise, otherwise is the uh, principal charity for uh, home education across the UK, across England and Wales. Um, established in the seventies, became a for, formally became a charity in nineteen seventy seven, and effectively we provide advice to home educating parents, NGOs, public bodies, liaise with government in one form or another, and uh, typically during the lockdown. Um, we wrote uh, a guide on how to home educate because at that stage uh, the whole of the country was basically home educating to some degree or another and that uh, guide was translated um, and distributed across Wales for example Right, so uh, one of the things that you just mentioned, I mean again for the benefit of our audience and listeners uh, could you just, you know, the minute difference between you know, though in, uh, homeschooling and home education is just a difference of yeah. uh, one word, but uh, you know, as you said, they are they are two different, separate entities. Yeah. If you could just elaborate on, on on the two, so that you know we could understand what the two are. Yeah. Generally speaking, when one uh, talks about homeschooling, it is almost a case of repeating school in the home, as opposed to home education incorporate a wider range of different things um, and I suppose the best way of looking at it is looking at some of the benefits 
opportunity to individual individualize the education of uh, a child um, because groups tend to be very small or in most cases one-to-one um, then things can be very much more specific uh, based on age ability and attitude home education gen home educating families tend not to follow the strict curriculum uh, you don't one does not have to follow strict curriculum um, homeschooling tends to uh, mimic school within the home environment. Right. I think that's perhaps one of the best ways of looking at the differences. Right. So providing a school-like atmosphere within the household is you know, somewhat the definition of home education. It's more a definition of homeschooling. Homeschooling. As, as opposed right. to home education. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, so just to follow up on that, um, recently, I mean, the numbers have shown that people are, you know, uh, going towards homeschooling and home education. Mm-hmm. Um, what What are some of the reasons why people are, you know, heading towards that direction? I, I suppose... The recent lockdowns that we went through, I think, changed the ball game completely. And I think people started realizing that that's also an option. But as you mentioned, you know, you, you know, the charity has been there since the 1970s. So the trend has been there prior to COVID. So what are some of the reasons why people uh, often go down that route of homeschooling? Well, the, there are many reasons, and um, listening to um, this show, um, uh, some of the reasons have been conveyed by uh, previous guests uh, that have been on the show. But in broad terms, um, we're really looking at situations whereby uh, schools, uh, for one reason or another, do not seem able to provide the very specific requirements of, say, a child that has special educational needs or a child that has been, uh, has a long-term illness, or maybe uh, mental health issues. So those are some of the broader reasons why um, a parent is saying, look, I shall home educate rather than sending my child to school. In some cases, uh, children find it difficult to go to school. Uh, for, it might be related to bullying. It could be simply that the education being delivered and the way it's been delivered within the school doesn't quite sit with that child and that then creates challenges. So there can be a wide range of things, a wide range of reasons why a parent will choose to home educate as opposed to, to send their child to school. Hmm. Uh, thank you, Dr. Neil. But isn't that a, a really big responsibility on the parents? Uh, suppose, um, especially in this culture, the, uh, sometimes both parents are working. So uh, how are they going to manage that, uh, that uh, teaching or educating their child on top of that? And that is an extremely important um, uh, point and question uh, to put on the table because we've got to remember that ult- the parents ultimately have the legal and moral responsibility to educate their child. Um, some parents, a lot of parents, because of circumstances, will choose to... Uh, offload, no, offload is the wrong term, will choose to put that responsibility into the hands of schools, mm-hmm. which then fits into the way they want to live their life. 
Chinese will say, no, no, what we'll do is we will reorganize how we live. We, we have the opportunity and the financial capabilities to home educate. So it's a difficult decision, but ultimately it's a decision that, uh, from a legal point of view, is very much, uh, should very much be made by um, the parents. Okay, uh, my question to you is, um, how does the education, otherwise UK, work with the local authorities to ensure that home-educated children receive, you know, a well-rounded education? Ah, good questions. This program is full of good questions. (laughs) 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 Right, first of all, um, one of the things that we've done uh, over recent years is develop something called the, the KIT Award, which is where we uh, identify, promote, and recognize uh, positive best practice with local authorities. Um, that is basically we, uh, we gather information from uh, local authorities, we gather information from parents, and uh, based on the scale, we will then award bronze, silver, or gold award to individuals with the local authorities. That way then we're trying to push out the idea that um, working with parents um, is always the best way when we look in when we are looking at uh, educating a child. Um, we develop continuous uh, professional development uh, sessions with local local authority staff. Um, we liaise with their staff um, and the parents when there are issues between local authorities and parents. Um, overall, we provide guidance to parents and local authorities encouraging cooperation, collaborative working. Uh, but the key thing about everything that we do is the child is always front and center. Mm-hmm. And uh, since uh, I assume you work nationally in, in the whole of UK, what, what kind of trend do you see? Is it um, usually the, the more financially stable and wealthier people who are homeschooling children or uh, is, is that like a... Co- common trend between um, all the all the work class well first of all we work uh, across Wales and um, uh, England uh, Scotland is slightly different they have uh, they have different there are differences in the laws and how they operate um, in terms of the trend and the type of parents uh, or family that tends to home educate we have to be realistic and the mm-hmm. realism says that there is always a financial dimension, as you mentioned earlier, of parents working who still have to provide uh, um, bread and butter for the family. Therefore, yes, home education can be regarded as very much a middle-class sort of um, activity. Right. Uh, um, and to say otherwise would be trying to mislead uh, the listeners. That's not to say that uh, individual families that perhaps do not have the same financial clout do not home educate. It's just that it's that much harder. And that's why we do provide a lot of material, a lot of support to families across the board. Absolutely, that, that's quite understandable. Uh, but, you know, just out of curiosity, um, you know, in the traditional uh, educational system, of course, you go through it through the different years and mm-hmm. towards the end, you know, the, you've got the SATs exams at the end of primary school. Then when you, you know, hit uh, secondary school towards the end of it, you've got your GCSE exams. And then um, and then, of course, A-levels and, of course, you go off to 
right. university. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the when you when you shift the dynamics to homeschooling, um, how are these homeschooled children? Um, what's the procedure for their examinations? How are they are tested? And of course, you know, if you're applying for universities, you need to do certain things here and there, and you need to, mm-hmm. get, you know, get your grades. How are these then children? I mean, how first of all obtain their curriculum, uh, and then how is that then uh, adhered to throughout their schooling? And then how are they tested? Okay. Um, r- the first thing we need to um, accept uh, is that. Uh, home education is simply a different method of providing education. Um, home educated students um, become teenagers and they still they still uh, go through the same process of uh, exams if they choose to right. and a university if they choose to. Therefore, in applying to university, they still have to go through the UCAS approach. Uh, they still have to deliver on certain exam grades, if that is appropriate. Um, so home education isn't uh, a separate sort of education system. It's that the choice is made to deliver the education in, uh, in a, a different environment. Right. Which, yeah, so there's, uh, but not all home-educated children choose or they choose to take exams. Right. So, for those who do take exams, do they usually go into schools and then give the exams mm. there? I suppose. Yeah, that's right. They go to an exam centre, uh, which might be a school. It might be a specific centre. So, there are centres, uh, and in fact, discussions with the DfE over the years, particularly during lockdown, I was involved in those discussions to try to make sure that there were sufficient centres around for home-educated students who wanted to take exams, so that they were able to take exams. Right. Also, um, you know, again, just looking into the perspective of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, let's say if someone wanted to start teaching at home, they wanted their kids to be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, what's the procedure? And secondly, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, my, my, my wife, she's also done PGC. So mm-hmm. before t- any teacher starts teaching in school, they often go through a course, mm-hmm. uh, t- a teaching course. So, what's the dynamics when it comes to homeschooling? Do do the parents have uh, some uh, s- you know some sort of Education training beforehand? To, to um, yeah. So, yeah. so what's the, what's the dynamics with that? It is there isn't any real dynamics oh. um, because it's uh, that question is almost it's almost the same as saying uh, when a couple decide to have a child. They are taught how to have a child, mm. how to bring up a child. Yeah. Um, so I bring that up, although I, there are differences I do accept. I think the key thing here is that um, it's still for the parents to uh, ensure that the, resource, the resources or the skill sets brought in if they do not have it, yeah. in order that the child has the education. But the key thing here is that the control is the parent has the control of that and utilizes their and their personal understanding of their child, their children, yep. with view of ensuring that the education they get is very much more tailored to their ability, the pace at which the child can work, wants to work, the direction the, parent, the child wants. 
that's where it's that overall control that's important. Yes, in many cases, home-educated families bring in a tutor in maths or science or or our religious studies or whatever. Right. Uh, because although I know us parents think that we know everything, the <laughs> 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 reality is that um, there's what we don't know and therefore we have to bring experts in. Right. So, so I mean, going back to the point, if if someone wanted to start homeschooling, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of support, firstly, do you give, and what is the procedure? Or how do you get into that? Right. If you want to home educate, generally speaking, um, need to inform if the child is at school. You need to inform the school um, that uh, you're choosing to home educate. Um, that I believe is would 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 be the best approach. Um, rather than the child just not going to school uh, for obvious obvious reasons. Um, Then it's a case of linking up with the local authorities if you choose to do that with the view of getting the support that some local authorities provide. Um, We provide a huge amount of information and can provide support. We have lots of information online with the view of the curriculum, with the view of uh, content, with the view of other organizations. Uh, and other groups that are home educated. Um, and uh, for a parent that is going to home education for the first time, it can be a bit of a minefield, but a lot of the material that we have and guidance that we provide as a charity will help to prevent the parents from stepping on too many minds. Right. Uh, and lastly, you know, how do you see the you know, future of home schooling and home education? Uh, what do you see of you see coming in the future? Future. Uh, well, realistically, the principal aim is uh, to educate every child, to educate them to their potential. That's what we all want. The reality is that um, one approach to education does not work for every child. So as parents, um, invariably, uh, need to look at things from a holistic point of view to, to decide yeah. what is best for their child. Some right. hand this responsibility over to one or another type of school, whilst others choose to educate. The key thing there is that it's a choice. The reality is that in the same way that vanilla is not the only flavor of ice cream, you know, I'm a, I'm a um, strawberry cheesecake man, Attending uh, school is not the only approach to educating uh, children. And quite honestly, education is far more important than the flavor of ice cream. So I view and we see that there is a trend towards home educating and or a hybrid between home educating and schools. So they call it flexi-schooling. Right. Be- because whether it is due to resources, whether it's due to um, uh, location, schools are not the panacea for every single child. Likewise, home education is not the solution for every single child. And this, mm-hmm. might, this might surprise your listeners, but my, although I'm a co-chair of this uh, home education charity, my son was not home educated. He loved right. school. All right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're right. You know, I think it just comes down to your personal, you know, viewpoint and personal mm-hmm. decision. Um, yeah. And as you rightfully said, I think a very important point is that the aim is to educate uh, all the children 
mm-hmm. uh, and raise them to be, you know, educated. Um, thanks, uh, uh, Dr. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. We wish you the best and uh, we hope that you have uh, a lovely day uh, and you take uh, care of yourself. No, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, can I just make one point? Uh, I listened to um, a caller or uh, someone who said something earlier, right. and that is, yes, uh, one of the other reasons why um, parents are moving away from school is because of the curriculum, the content. Yeah. Um, now, that is just as important um, because ultimately, legally point, from a legal point of view, uh, we've all got to remember that the parents still have the legal responsibility to provide education. Uh, but in moving away from school to the home, um, we've got to also accept that the child, when they become teenagers and adults, still need to live in the world to some degree or another, and therefore still need to be equipped with the tools in order they can actually survive and move forward. Absolutely. That's a very, very important and valid point. And thank you, uh, Dr. Neil, that you know you highlighted that. Um, once again, we appreciate your time and we're very you. You know, grateful uh, that you came to, uh, you know, you joined us uh, early in the morning and yeah, spoke to us about the importance of education. So, you know, you have a blessed day. Uh, peace and blessings of God be upon you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Dr. Uh, Ambrose Neal, who was speaking to us about home home education and homeschooling and what are the importances uh, of education. Now, highlighting that, I think, you know, moving on to the Islamic perspective, we must understand that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the founder of Islam, he stated that it's incumbent upon every Muslim man and woman to attain education. And the importance of attaining education is imperative uh, without education, without understanding, without having knowledge, it's you know very difficult for you know people to strive, uh, to thrive, to go to the extends uh, extend of you know doing something great. And that's not to say that you know those who aren't educated can't achieve that. But you know education equips you to deal with different challenges in life. Whether it's, you know, maths, whether it's the sciences, whether it's, you know, even uh, joining the army, learning how to defend your country. So all of these things fall under education. And hence, it was so important that every person, you know, man or woman is educated, is given the, you know, basic necessity of education. Um, And I think, uh, you know, speaking about homeschooling. Uh, we must understand that, you know, the primary goal at the end of the day is to give education to the children. Um, because, as I mentioned, you know, once you have education, uh, it's not just receiving education, it's also giving it and passing it on. And this is how, you know, generally uh, education or transfer of knowledge has been taking place for millenniums. You know, a person becomes a master in one field uh, of the sciences or maths or whatever subjects there are, he becomes a master of it. And when he has reached the epitome of his uh, career, you know, 
he or she then passes on that knowledge to his or her students and then of course they develop and they uh, you know reach standards and they thrive and then they pass that on and for generations this is how knowledge is passed on so education is in fact a deed which is serving humanity and i think is to we must understand that uh, you know it's not just about educating yourself but it's also educating your future generations and i think uh, to better understand that i have a clip to share with you and with that we will be ending our show um this clip is of the fifth caliph uh, of the amdi muslim community uh, hazrat mirza masrur ahmed uh, may allah be his helper uh, and i'll play this clip for you guys now in addition the prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him established an excellent education system through which the intellectual standards of that society were raised literate and well educated people were instructed to teach the illiterate special measures were put in place to provide education to orphans and other vulnerable members of society this was this was all done so that the weak and powerless could stand on their own two feet and advance another issue often raised is of women's rights and it is often alleged that islam denies women's rights nothing could be further from the truth rather islam established the rights of women and girls for the first time at a time when women and girls were discriminated against and often looked down upon the prophet of islam instructed his followers to ensure that girls were educated and respected indeed he said that if a person had three daughters who they educated and guided in the best way they would be sure to enter paradise it is contrary to the extremists claim that the violent jihad and the slaughter of non muslims will take a person to heaven yet the prophet of islam peace and blessings be upon him taught that the way to enter heaven was by educating and instilling moral values within girls based upon the teachings amdi muslim girls across the world are educated and are excelling in various fields they are becoming doctors teachers architects and entering other professions through which they can serve humanity <clears throat> we ensure that girls are given equal access to education as boys hence the literacy rate of amadi muslim girls in the developing world is at least 99% besides education islam was the religion that first gave women the right to inheritance the right to divorce 
and many other human rights. Another allegation leveled against Islam by certain critics is that it is a backward and archaic religion or one that does not promote intellectual advancement. This is a lazy stereotype that is based on fiction rather than fact. <clears throat> it is a baseless allegation. The Holy Quran itself has signified the importance of education by teaching the prayer, the Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. Where this prayer is a source of great help to Muslims, it also inspires them towards learning and advancing the cause of human knowledge. The truth is that the Holy Quran and the teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, inspired the works of generations of Muslims, intellectuals, philosophers, and inventors in the Middle Ages. Indeed, if we look back more than a million millennium, we see how Muslims, scientists, and inventors played a fundamental role in advancing knowledge and developing technologies which transformed the world and remain in use today. So that was the clip from His Holiness. That's it for today. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Till next time.